This morning, we are going to continue on in our series, Richland Exists Through the Lens of the Book of Acts. What did we learn in our year and a half or so that we were in the Book of Acts? How can we, how can we apply what did we see in the Book of Acts that applies to who we are, why we exist here at the Richland Church? And so before, when I first took over for Pastor Ron and, and became the lead pastor here at Richland. We walked through a series called Richland Exists, walking through our existence statement that's here on the wall, talking about what does that really mean for us? What does it mean for us to exist, to magnify Jesus Christ so that people might see and savor and declare the glory of God in the face of Christ? What does that mean for us? And now we're saying, let's look at those same things that same existence statement, and look at it through what we learned in the book of Acts. What does it mean for us to exist in the midst of that? And so last week, we looked at just the beginning. Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ. Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ. And I said last week, I actually spent a a significant time on it to say, Richland does not exist for you. We exist for him. It's all about him. He is the ultimate. And we talked about the story in in Acts where Peter and John heal a lame man and and then they're confronted and they said, whose name did you do this in? And Peter and John said, we we do it in the name of Jesus. There's there's no other name by which we can be saved. Even as they're confronted by the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even as they're thrown into jail and hauled out the next day, and again, asked, whose name do you do this by? They reply again, it's, it's in the name of Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. It's only his name. His name is the ultimate name. And so we rest in the name of Jesus. We exist as a church here at Richland to magnify Jesus Christ, to lift up the name of Jesus. We also exist, as you continue on in that statement, we exist so that people might see. That's where we're at today. So that people might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Richland exists so that people might see. And, and as I looked back through, through my notes in, in the book of Acts, there's lots of places. There's lots of spiritual blindness in the book of Acts. There's lots of places where spiritually blind people come to life, where they, where they see for the very first time. In fact, there's a, there's a story in, in, in Acts chapter 9, the, probably one of the most well-known stories in the book of Acts, of a man who was so blind that he was leading the execution of believers until Jesus himself comes, shines a light into his eyes, physically actually blinding him and calling him away from that life and into a new life. And you know that story in Acts chapter 9. You know the conversion of Paul. That's not the story we're going to look at today that would have fit well with this idea that we exist so that people might see. What I want to look at, though, is a story just before that in Acts. There's a story right before the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It's a, it's a, it's a simple and yet profound conversion story that I think helps us to understand 
who we are here at Richland, what, what God has called us to be and to do, and helps us walk through the idea of why we exist so that people might see. So the story of, of Philip, you remember, if you remember those early stories of Acts before we got into Paul and his missionary journeys, there's a, there's a moment there, just a couple of chapters, where, where, where persecution has come, led by, by Saul, Persecution has come on the believers in Jerusalem, and there's this window here where all of a sudden the, 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 the gospel begins to spread. The believers are scared in Jerusalem. They're, they're flooding out of Jerusalem. They don't want to be imprisoned and killed, and so they're, they're, they're running out of Jerusalem and into other areas. And Philip is one of those first early leaders that leaves from Jerusalem and begins to head out and share the gospel with the surrounding communities. He heads to Samaria. And while he's there, he heals some lame, sick, paralyzed people. They come and he heals them in the name of Jesus. He has a confrontation with Simon, the magician, who, who when, he, when he's doing these healings, Simon says, I want that power. What can I do to have that power? And he has this confrontation. And then we come to this story here in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. This is the story of, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's read it together in Psalm, or in Psalm, in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over, join his chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I'm not going to go into all the details that we did on this story back when we first looked at it about a year ago. But I want to remind you of a few of the key points, and then I want to apply it to why we exist here at Richland. You remember, as we just read, that there's an angel of the Lord, God himself, an angel of the Lord calls to Philip and says, Leave, head down this road, head, head out into the desert, head down this deserted road. I, I want you to go down there. And Philip immediately responds. He, he rises, he gets up, and he goes. And when he goes, he meets this Ethiopian man. 
A man who has, as you read there, a number of titles that he's given. An Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all of, his, of, all of her treasure. He was a worshiper who had come to Jerusalem, a God-fearer. All kinds of titles that are given to this man. He's an Ethiopian, so we know, we know he's, a, he's a foreigner. In fact, Ethiopia, that, that whole idea would have been the, the, the very edge of the earth. He's from, he's from as far away as you can get, is kind of the idea. He's a foreigner to Israel. He's a eunuch. He's emasculated. He's probably a former slave. But he's not a former slave any longer. He's now a court official. He has moved from slave because of his trustworthiness. He has become a high and trusted advisor. So high, so trusted that he's in charge of the treasury of the queen. He's in charge of the treasury of Candace. He has lots, access to lots and lots of money. And we know that he's a God-fearer. He had come. There was a reason why he got on the chariot. There was a reason why he had made this long journey. He wanted to come to Jerusalem. He wanted to come to the temple. He wanted to come to the very place that he had been hearing about. He wanted to see. He wanted to know. He wanted to understand better about the one true God. And so... He visited the temple. We can assume he even purchased some scrolls such that he was reading them on the way back to Ethiopia. He'd spent his time at the temple. He got on his chariot. He began to head back. And it's there that God brings these two men together. Philip and the Ethiopian are brought back together, are brought together there on the road. This Ethiopian, this eunuch, this court official, this man who's in charge of the treasury, this God-fearer who had come to worship, all kinds of titles, but the title that mattered the most in that moment, the title that, that this Ethiopian eunuch had, which is why he brought Philip there in the first place, was that this man was blind and lost, a sinner in need of grace. And so God brings Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch together. And Philip, as he runs next to the chariot, it tells us here in Acts, hears the Ethiopian reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip just asks this man, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Philip knows that even when the answers are right in front of us, even when he's reading right there in Isaiah chapter 53, even when he's reading the exact place that we return to often to remind ourselves of God's promise of a Messiah to come, that even when the answers are right in front of us, we oftentimes, lots of times, are still blinded. And the Ethiopian eunuch, even though he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53, is still blinded. And so Philip says, do you even understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian responds and he says, how can I? How can I understand it unless someone guides me? Unless someone explains it to me? The Ethiopian eunuch knew, or at least was beginning to see, that sight, the beginning of sight, is the recognition of blindness. 
He was recognizing his blindness, which was the first, the first hints of the sight that was to come. So the Ethiopian invites Philip to come up onto the chariot with him. And they begin in the passage that they were that he was just reading, and the Ethiopian was just reading. As I said, it was it's from the prophet Isaiah, it's chapter 53. The verse here that we have listed in Acts chapter 8 is verses 7 and 8, which means that the verse that he was reading as Philip approached was verse 6 in Isaiah chapter 53. This verse, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And then continues to read on there, verses 7 and 8. Luke tells us that Philip opened his mouth and began to share all, beginning with that scripture, began to share all of the good news about Jesus. Walking through right there from Isaiah chapter 53. He continues on telling about that, that suffering servant who was going to come to atone, who was going to come to bear our iniquities on him. By his wounds, we are to be healed. He continues on. He goes into Isaiah chapter 54 and tells about the future blessings and the new covenant that are going to come. He continues on in Isaiah chapter 55 and, and, and tells about the new creation and the new earth that are yet to come, the promises that God has made to his people. He continues on in Isaiah chapter 56, talking about how God is going to gather all of his people together comes to Isaiah chapter 56. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read a couple of verses. He comes to Isaiah chapter 56 and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I'm sure, read these words. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. This man who has all these titles, Ethiopian, eunuch, treasurer, trusted, advisor, man in charge of Candace's treasury, God-fearer. Philip and the Ethiopian read, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree, because God says to eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, 
will hold fast my covenant. I will give my house within my walls, a monument, a name better than sons and daughters. I give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I don't have any idea. None of us have any idea where they are in the journey and where they are as they walk through Scripture when they come to the verse that says, here is some water. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was here. It wouldn't surprise me if in this moment, in Isaiah chapter 56, just three chapters in to the story about Jesus, that Philip says, this is about you. You will be given an everlasting name and you shall not be cut off. And it's in that moment, in that moment, when the Ethiopian eunuch's blindness is removed. It's in that moment when he sees the water and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? It's in that moment that the blinders come off and that this man with all of the titles gets a new title, child of the king. As I mentioned, when we walked through this passage, you'll see in your, in your Bible there, here's verse 35, there's verse 36, and then there's verse 38. Verse 37, which is not in your Bible there, but maybe is in your footnotes, was not in all of the versions, but, but what the missing verse, 37, in some versions says that when the eunuch asks, what prevents me from being baptized, Philip responds, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch replies, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what it takes. His blindness is removed when he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in that very moment, when he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the foreigner comes home. The slave becomes free. The trusted advisor begins to look instead to the wonderful counselor. The guard of Candace's treasury has now found an even more everlasting treasure. The God-fearing worshiper now kneels down before the king. The lost has been found. The lame now walks. The dead is now alive. The blind now sees. The Ethiopian eunuch becomes a child of God. And his blindness is removed. We exist here at Richland so that people might see. We exist so that blinders might be removed and people might see that they too might become children of the king. And we see in this passage, we see in this story in Acts chapter eight that God uses the power of his word partnered with the obedience and willingness of his people to bring the lost to himself. He uses the power of his word, partnered with the obedience and the willingness of his people to bring the lost to himself. That's what we mean. That's what I mean when I say Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ so that people might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. We exist to be that partner 
We exist to help to bring understanding and guidance to those whom God is drawing to himself. God is the one that works in the background. We see that all over in this story with Philip and the Ethiopian. God is the one that sovereignly works all of those things together, and yet he uses Philip to help the Ethiopian eunuch see. We want to be that partner. But it would be easy today to, to come to that point and say, yes, we do. We, we want to partner with God so that people might see, so that they might have blinders removed, so that they might come to understand for the very first time who Jesus is, that they might come to have their sins forgiven. We want that blindness to be removed, and we rest in that, and we stop there. But the truth is, when we talk about Richland existing so that people might see, I don't just mean people who are on the front side of conversion. The truth is we remain blinded oftentimes even as we walk through our conversion and into our sanctification. We remain blinded to the hope and the power and the need of the cross even after we have come into God's family. And there's something that, that's been super helpful for me in this and I... And I borrow these pictures so that we can put them on the screen because I want you to understand it too because there's a blindness. There's a blindness that comes before we ever know Jesus. We're lost, we're blind, we can't see him. But there's a blindness too that comes oftentimes even after our conversion. And you see it here on the, on the screen. There comes a point when, we, when, we, when the blinders are removed and we, and, and, and it's, we call it our conversion. It's the point where we where we move from death to life, where we move from blind to sight, where we move from lost to found, where we move from heaven to hell, or from hell to heaven. There's that moment of conversion, and the cross is what, what bridges that gap between God's perfection and our imperfection. And Jesus finishes that work, and the cross, the cross brings us into God's presence. But then, as we continue down the timeline. Two things begin to happen at the, at the same time. One, you see this downward arrow. There's a growing awareness of my own flesh, my own sinfulness. As we continue on in our walk of faith, we, 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 we've moved from, from outside of God's family to inside of God's family, but we realize that even in the midst of that, there are still things that I fight that I don't want to do. There's this sin that, that I just continue to struggle with. We talked about it last week. We, we are selfish and sinful, and we're going to deal with it all the way through our earthly lives. And we become more and more aware of that, and, 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 and it just becomes greater and greater and greater. And at the same time, there's this upward arrow, the growing awareness of God's holiness. The more that we're in the word, the more that we know, the more that we learn about, about the life of faith, the more we realize how great God is, how holy he is, how perfect he is, and his greatness begins to go off the charts, up, and our sinfulness begins to go off the charts, down, and there's this huge gap, and it grows more and more and more. The longer that we're, that we're walking in faith, the more we realize how awesome God is and how utterly sinful I am. And so this cross that we 
trusted in the gospel that we looked to, the hope that we had in the cross of Christ, all of a sudden doesn't fill that gap anymore, or so we think. And so we have these two wedges that you can see there that we, that we try to fill up so that the gospel still applies for us. And the first wedge that you see on the bottom there, there's this gap between my sin. I'm too sinful even for the cross to apply. I'm too sinful for the cross to work. And so, and so that gap we oftentimes fill by pretending. We pretend that we're better than we are so that we can elevate ourselves up to where the cross will take over. So we hide our sin. We we pretend that we're something that we're not. We make ourselves look better than we should. We ignore our sinfulness. Or we become so consumed with guilt and shame that we just, we, we, can't, we can't even bear it. It's, it's so unbearable for us, the, this gap between where, where Jesus cross begins and and the depth of our sin and so we just pretend that we're good enough or on the top side there's another gap there the gap between the cross is enough and then all of a sudden we realize how great God is and so there's this gap on the top side and we have to perform on the top side we realize yes Jesus Jesus died on the cross for my sins But God is so great that there must be something I have to add on to what I've already found in the cross. Jesus died for my sins, but now I have to to serve. Now I have to work. Now I have to do. Now I have to give. Now I have to make myself worthy to fill this gap. I have to perform. I have to perform so that I'm worthy. Because God's holiness is so great. And there sometimes we find, we find legalism, we find pride, we find self-justification. We have this whole list of things that we will accomplish on our own so that we can add them to the cross and make ourselves worthy of God and his love. And instead... Instead, what we need to do as we grow, as we grow in our faith, we don't want to perform, we don't want to pretend, but we're blinded. Even after we've come to faith, we're blinded to the true hope and glory of the cross. We're blinded to the true finished work of Jesus. And what we need to do instead of performing and pretending is we need to just see the cross is more than enough. Go ahead to the next slide is more than enough when we come to faith. And as our growing awareness of God's holiness and our growing awareness of our sinfulness and that gap gets larger and larger, we treasure the cross of Christ. We treasure the finished work of Jesus. We throw ourselves all the more at the mercy of Jesus. And we say, God, it's only through Jesus' blood. It's only through the finished work of Jesus. It's only through the cross. It's only through the gospel that we have any hope. 
that we have any forgiveness, that we have any redemption, that we have any rescue. The truth is, even sometimes when we have come to sight, we're still often blinded. And we need God to help us to see. And so I hope that as we exist here at Richland, so that people might see, I hope it's about walking alongside the Ethiopian eunuch and saying, do you understand what you're reading? And if you don't, let me help you. Let me share with you the truth of Jesus. I hope we exist so that people might see for that. But I hope that we exist so that even after that moment, even after that moment when he believes wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ, even in that moment when the Ethiopian eunuch is, is baptized and rejoicing, that we can still continue to grow in our sight, grow in the hope that we have in the cross of Christ. There's some of us today that have had years of looking to the cross of Jesus, but we've also spent much of that time pretending that we aren't really that bad. Instead of seeing and owning our sin and selfishness. There's some of us here today that have had years of looking at the cross of Christ and then performing to make ourselves look more acceptable instead of resting completely and entirely in the finished work of Jesus. We exist here at Richland so that people might see, so that they might see that life comes through hearing and understanding the word, so that they might see that no matter, no matter the depth of our sinfulness, no matter how deep our sin and selfishness, the cross of Jesus is more than enough. We exist so that people might see that no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we serve, no matter how much we try to increase our value to the Father, our only hope comes in the incalculable worth of Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection. Our hope comes in Jesus, which takes us back We exist to magnify Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about him. And and we we come to these gaps because, because we begin to focus on us. We begin to look at us instead of having eyes that look to him. May God help us. May God help us to see the hope we have in the finished work of Jesus. We ended this way last week. We're going to end this way this week too as the worship team comes. There's a seeing. There's a seeing that comes before we, before we come to faith. We're blind to our need. We're blind to our sin. We're blind to the provision of Jesus. And so we have this seeing moment like the Ethiopian eunuch where everything comes Together, and we see for the first time that Jesus is the only way. There's another seeing of, of seeing our, that the cross is more than enough. 
And as we grow in, in our relationship with God, seeing his holiness, seeing our sinfulness, there's a seeing of the cross is more than enough. There's one last seeing at the very end for each one of us. Revelation chapter 22 tells us about it. I can't get away from it. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will be there to worship him. They will see his face. They will see, you and I will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They'll need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We long for that day. We exist. We exist so that we might see him on that day. Stand with me this morning as we worship. lights grow dim though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men though the wicked never stumble and abound in every place we will all be humbled when we see been fighting those without and those within will be underneath our feet to never rise again all our sins will be behind us through the blood of Christ erased and we'll taste your kindness when we see
Gospel-Centered Life by Bob Thune and, and one other guy, Will. I've forgotten his name. Will Walker, I think. It's not mine, so I'd, if you want more on that, you can look those up. It's super, super helpful. So our benediction today comes from Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.